Today's episode features filmmaker and cancer climber, Tate McDowell. Welcome to Wild Ideas Worth Living, an adventure podcast presented by REI Co-op, the brand who helps get you outside through gear, classes, and adventures. We talk to experts who have taken a wild idea and made it a reality so you can too. From people who have climbed the tallest peaks, started thriving businesses, and even broken records, some of the wildest ideas can lead to the most rewarding adventures. I'm your host, Shelby Stanger, and I hope you enjoy the show. Tate McDowell is a filmmaker and the owner of Death Cookie Entertainment. He got his start making movies for companies like Teton Gravity Research and Brain Farm after he moved to Jackson Hole, Wyoming. As a skier, he loved living in the mountains. It was also there in Wilson, Wyoming, where he met his wife, Laura Bodmer, on disco night at the Stagecoach Bar. Since 2008, the couples lived in Cardiff, California, which is in San Diego, and they have a five-year-old son, also named Wilson. I've known Tate and his wife through the outdoor and action sports industry for a while now, and I actually randomly ran into them the night of their engagement when I was teaching surf lessons in Costa Rica. I've always loved watching Tate's movies. He's made a few about some of my friends, but I really started following what he was doing a little bit more recently. His posts and stories have just touched me to the core. A few years ago, Tate was diagnosed with cancer, and he's currently going through stage four metastatic rectal cancer. He had this wild idea to climb the Grand Tetons in Wyoming after seeing an image of the mountains literally in the hallway where he was getting cancer treatments. We dive into his journey to climb the mountains. We talk about having cancer. We talk about being a dad and a husband and what he's learned. We also talk about his hobbies like watercolor painting, which he's recently taken up and why you shouldn't waste any time. Tate's very honest. He's real. He's going through something that's really difficult. But I love his message. I love his story. I love how strong he is. I love how strong his wife is. And I think you'll enjoy this too. Tate, thanks for coming back. What was your wild idea? My wild idea is I was going through cancer treatments and there's a picture of a mountain, the Grand Teton, in the hallway of my cancer center. And my wild idea was to climb it eventually. Okay, so tell me about this mountain in in the hallway, this picture of the Grand Tetons. Was it like a photograph or a painting? Yeah, it's like a huge picture, and it's funny. The unlikely thing is that I'm in San Diego, and I I used to live in Jackson, Wyoming, and it's this really long hallway, and at the end of it is probably like a three-foot by three-foot, like a pretty large painting of the Grand Teton, which is in Jackson, Wyoming. And it's like a really beautiful mountain. It goes from, you know, 6,000 feet straight up to like close to 14,000 feet. So it's just like a... Wow, the vertical. It's just like, yeah, it's just a straight up, like the relief on it's unbelievable. It's just a mountain that just climbs right up out of the out of the flat land. So. And a friend who's French informed me that Grand Teton means... Do I have to say it? Yeah, yeah, you have to say it. Grand Tetis. So it was named after yep. these big, you know, whoever were explorers back in the day had a good sense yeah, of humor. I think fur trappers or something. So you wanted to climb these Grand Tetons. Mm-hmm. But but so go back. So it, you were going through treatments, which are no joke. And I, I so appreciate you talking about this because this is hard. So maybe you could just tell people really quickly what you're going through treatments for and sort of just briefly what kind of cancer you have. Mm-hmm. Well, I started out at stage two rectal cancer and um, 
currently it's progressed to stage four metastatic. So I'm, I'm definitely in a different category and things are getting a little bit more serious. But um, when I started out with the goal, it was like a, a pretty, it seemed like a low bar to like go and climb the Grand Teton. I wasn't saying like, oh, I'm going to go do Mount Everest or something crazy like that. I was like, at the time I was in pretty good health and I was doing some of these radiation and chemo treatments. And I thought it was a pretty low bar. But it turned out not to be a very low bar. No, at all. it's it's not a low bar for able, like fully healthy people to do it. Right, but, which is basically what I felt like at the time. Yeah, because you were thirty six at the time. Yeah, thirty five, thirty six. Yeah. And so this mountain sort of became an obsession, but also this really awesome goal. Yeah. To keep going. Yeah, well, it started just kind of being a reason that I would go and work out. And I do these stairs down at Pipes, which is in Cardiff. Which is in San Diego, a yeah. beach. And so there's like, uh, I think it's probably like 60, 70 feet and like 130 something stair, 160 stairs, I think. And so I just go every day and run and do the staircase. So it kind of started out as being like a thought in the back of my mind, like, oh, I'm doing these stairs. And I became completely obsessed with, well, if I do this many stairs, how many vertical feet is that? And then I started getting into more and more mountain climbing stuff and started going to like a climbing gym and started bouldering and started started looking at all the stuff, all the routes on the internet and things like that and talking to my friends about it. And yeah, and then but, it just became an obsession. So at the same time, you met another guy who was also going through something really similar mm -hmm. in his cancer ward. There was also a picture of the Grand Tetons. Like, how is that possible? Yeah. He lives in Idaho, so he's really close to the Grands. He's the Grand. He's been he's been up a few times, but yeah, we'd been talking like for a year. We've been going through all these nasty treatments together. I mean, a lot of the stuff that you do. What's his name? It's pretty Brian? difficult. Yeah, Brian McDonald. And he's how old? I'm not sure. In his forties. Okay, so yeah, young, mid forties. Yeah, so still young for this type of cancer and athletic and everything. So. We were going back and forth and helping each other through this whole process of dealing with, you know, the the treatments and the surgeries and all this stuff. And it's really difficult and it's very private stuff. So, like, we were buddies for each other, just texting each other back and forth, you know, what worked for him, maybe it would work for me. And, and then eventually I found out that he was, I, I'd kind of been planning this trip to do the Grand. And his treatments didn't quite line up with going up it at the time. And then he found out that they were going to take him off like the last round of chemo. And, he, and then as soon as I found that out, I was like, well, we end at the same time. We should go up to grand together. Well, that's so cool. And so, yeah, we were, we were super pumped to do that. Do you want to talk about what happened when you tried to go up the grand yeah. the first time? So it was kind of like pretty naive to think. And that's why I felt like the bar was so low, but I started I was like, my goal is going to be one year. So one year after I've been diagnosed on like basically the one year anniversary, I'm going to do um, all this stuff. And one year after I'm going to be free of cancer, I'm going to climb the grand. That year and all the stuff that I ended up going through, I ended up doing a surgery where they take your rectum along with the tumor and everything else. That's after you do six weeks of radiation to your pelvis and chemo, which oh. is basically like having a sunburn on your backside for six months oh. or six weeks. It gets really bad. And um, and then, so after the surgery, they give you an allostomy, which is a bag that you like, your poop comes out of your stomach into a bag. So both Brian and I had that for six months while we're both doing chemo. 
And then after that, you get the elastomy reversed. And so this is where I really came into some big problems because the reversal surgery after that, the recovery time is much longer than I thought it would be. Mm. And so by the time, and you're open to all these things like infections and stuff like that, because your large intestines have been basically like shut down for, you know, months. So by the time the year later came, I, we'd both gotten our takedown surgeries and, you know, they put your intestines back together and things do not work properly at all to say the least. And so the goal was basically three months after that surgery happened, we were going to climb the grand. And I ended up getting like a, a pretty nasty bowel infection called C. diff. <laughs> and, and you have a sense of humor about this whole thing. So you know, it just, it seems like just a total, like unlikely course of events and just a, it's silly now I can laugh about it. But so we end up like, he's kind of like dodgy and not like feeling like the climb's necessarily a great idea. I'm like basically crapping myself every day, <laughs> trying to like still do this and, and, you know, go through with it. And we end up in Jackson and I end up like, I'm, I'm just not there yet. Like, and not to mention the biggest challenge of this whole thing, which I never factored in was when you go climb the Grand, it's a two-day experience, and going to the bathroom is like a very limited thing because you can't just go anywhere in this wilderness. You know, above a certain amount of elevation, you have to pack everything in and pack it out with you. So you have to poop in a bag and like... A lag bag. Yeah, and then so you're climbing, and then not to mention like if you're having bowel issues to put on a harness and start yeah. trying to climb, you know, multiple pitch climbs. Mm. Like if you have to go... At a certain time, you're not going to be able to go. So this isn't a, just a hike, like going to the Grand Canyon, no. you're hiking, and then you're literally climbing with ropes, harnesses, like like right. you would a rock face in Yosemite. Yeah, and that's like the last part of it. So basically, like the first, I don't know, like there's 90% of it is just hiking, and then like the last two or three hours, you're basically doing the summit with all the harness and gear and stuff. So... Yeah, at that point I got up to Jackson and I was like, I you know, I don't know if this is going to work out. And then I was on like a antibiotic to try to get rid of that bowel infection and then I was going off of it like 2 days before the climb was scheduled and I was like basically like ran out of mm. what was kind of getting me by and then those next 2 days were just like Yeah. It, yep, it's coming back. All right. Darn, <sighs> didn't do the job. That so. must have been a little challenging not to, to get all the way out there and not be able to climb. Yeah, it totally was. And then on top of that, before we basically left, I had gotten a scan done. I was like, okay, this is going to be my scan. It's been one year. I'm going to get scanned. I'm going to be free of cancer and I'm going to go climb the Grand. So it was like, you know, this is like my big celebration. So we pull into Jackson. There's like a big party with all my friends, you know, and a lot of them didn't know. I never told them, but like two days before I basically got scan results showing that I actually had metastatic cancer had spread to my lung. So they were just spots at that point. I still had to do a biopsy, but it was basically like, okay, so now I'm going to Jackson. I have spots on my lung that mean that it's moving around, which is pretty much a death sentence. And now I'm going to go try to pretend like I'm climbing this mountain all of a sudden. <laughs> and so I was like, camping in Jackson. And honestly, you know, when people ask me, like, do you ever regret not doing the grand? I'm like, no, like 
I was so done at that point. Like it was amazing that I got on an airplane to even go. I was like so over that mountain. I wanted nothing to do with it. You know, you're sitting here like battling cancer all day and night and you're like dealing with all these thoughts of death and now I'm going to go hang off the side of a mountain. No, I think I can deal without that for a little while. <laughs> Maybe we'll put this plan on the back burner for, for some time. Wow. And so then it was another year at least of still thinking about the mountain and being like, can I still do it? I think I still can. When am I going to do it? How am I going to do it? What can I do differently next time to be prepared for all this stuff to make sure that when I get there, I'm ready to start hiking and tick off as much of it as I can. So I just want to like go back a little bit because you're a dad mm-hmm. and you're married to Laura who works in the outdoor industry as well. And I've known for a long time. So your son is Wilson, mm-hmm. holds Wilson. He's going to be five next week. So what did he think the whole time of you climbing and getting ready to climb the Grand Tetons? Because you're training, you know, you, you got him a little bit involved. And I think that story is really cool. Yeah. Oh, uh, he was really excited about it. He'd come to the climbing gym with me and things. Sometimes I'd try to convince him to sit in the backpack while I did the uh, the staircase, but he was he's a little too mobile for that. <laughs> um, but he he loved the idea. He kind of thought, you know, I'd show him pictures of the Grand and stuff, and uh, he would just get so excited about it. And you also started drawing pictures of mountains. Yeah. Watercolor. Yeah, like, you know, it literally became quite the obsession. Tell and me it about was, so this. It was like these thank you cards that I write for people and stuff, and... But a lot of the times I just find myself in situations where I'm like doing cancer treatments, like I'm in a chemo chair or what have you. And painting is really relaxing for me, especially if I don't have to think too much about what I'm painting. And that kind of turned into these mountainscapes where I just kind of like lay down some paint and then watch it dry and then do another layer of paint. And it turned into the Grand Teton and the mountain range. And like, you know, I'd have like the middle Teton and you know, then the grand and then like the gun sight. And then, you know, it's like, you're painting all this. Yeah. And then I was just like, Oh, this is really relaxing. So I just end up like painting the grand for like, I don't know, 10 straight months. <laughs> so. You also painted some other great pictures. So one of the things you did when you've been writing about the climb and one of the things I really thought was interesting is you compare what you're going through with cancer which just sounds really hard and I so appreciate you sharing with us so candidly is you can, you compare it more to a climb versus so many people who say like, you know, you said it for a second, but like battling cancer and it's like this fight, like war. And and you're saying, no, it's not like war. It, it is a climb like a mountain. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think there's a lot of people in cancer that really like, they don't like that battle term and, it becomes a conversation an awful lot of the time. And one of the biggest reasons is because when somebody dies of cancer, they say they lost, you know, it's Mm. like, Oh, so-and-so John McCain lost his battle with cancer. It's like, as if, you know, there's winners and losers over all this stuff. Um, And basically like in somebody's obituary, you're like saying that they're a loser. So that's, it just doesn't seem all that fair and it doesn't seem like it applies that much. Mm -mm. So I just, I started really feeling like the analogy was way more like a climb because you're just kind of on this journey and, you know, climbers, when you start, you know, that it's life or death and it may end suddenly and maybe you'll get turned around because of weather, you know, maybe you'll have all these challenges, you know, you might get blisters on your feet or whatever. I mean, like climbing isn't always fun, just like life isn't always fun and you're just going to have to like accept all the stuff that's going to happen and, and the summit isn't 
really the goal, you know, it's just to make sure that, you know, just have fun while you're doing whatever you're doing, like forget about any type of finish line or what have you. I guess as you have so much clarity about, I mean, I can tell you have so much clarity about life. You're going through something so hard and you probably don't sweat a lot of the BS that a lot of us do on a daily basis. Like what are, what are some of the things that you've learned that people should know from this climb with cancer and this climb to literally climb the Tetons? Like what, what are some of the lessons you've learned that I think people can really benefit right. from? I think one of the, like the biggest things that I learned from it is that my goal doesn't ever really have to be a finish line and that it doesn't have to be a summit. Like I kind of think to myself now, like if I'm going to be successful at something, I really have to worry about the starting line, like in being prepared to begin something. And then I think I'll really surprise myself, but being um, unprepared for that starting line and not knowing what you're getting into, like the first attempt that I had on the grand is that's where failure kind of starts and you're never really going to be able to come back from it if you're not prepared for that starting gate. One of the other things that I guess I, I've learned from it and that I have to deal with like on a daily basis and that I wish other people understood too is you're going to die. Like it sucks, right? Shelby, you're going to die. Totally sucks, but yes, I'm, I'm But even die. when I say that, like you, even myself, like you kind of think to yourself like, no, no, that's no, I got time. I mean, I, I do. I, I have this like, granted, I lost a dad suddenly when I was a kid. So I have a bit of a unique perspective on death. Like I was so young and he just died like suddenly Yeah. where I was like, oh my God, I have to live life to the fullest. And I, I don't know. But yeah, I mean, I, I do think I have a lot of years left. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, I mean, even when I say it myself, like if you were to say it, if, the, the listeners are to say it, if they just sit in their car or wherever and they're like, I'm going to die. Your first instinct is no, I'm not. Mm -hmm. And that is so wrong. So wrong. <laughs> You're right. We're all going to die. Yeah. So I think like there are moments where I get so worried about treatments and I get so worried about, you know, the future and what's going to happen to my, my family and my kid and all this other stuff. And it's just like, no, you know what you need to do is just like accept that this is a definite possibility and you're just going to have to get over it. Like you t figure out what the worst case scenario is. You say it in your head, like, yeah, that's totally going to happen. And then just blow it off and just keep moving. So you kept moving in a really beautiful way through this last adventure. And mm -hmm. I think, I think we should tell people about it because I've read your blogs about it okay. and they're, they're pretty amazing. Yeah. Um, Tate's an incredible writer. We'll link to his blog in the show notes. And there's actually a movie about the training leading up to this climb that we'll link to as well. And we'll talk about that a little bit later, but you went back to the Tetons very last minute, pulled it together. You had some pretty big obstacles, including the reason why you're wearing this really rad pirate <laughs> eye patch on your eye. Rad. So, the disability is always rad. Oh, That's come the on. Best. You're wearing an eye patch and you told me yourself yeah. that the eye patch gets a lot of attention. Yeah. It's the best, uh, the best. Well, I can tell people about the reason for the eye patch. So fast forward one year, it's now two years after I've been diagnosed. My goal now is like, okay, the end of August, that's my window. I'm going to go climb the grand. Just a few months ago. Yeah. It was actually one month ago to the day. I awesome. Think. So over the summer, I decided to do like an immunotherapy. So that's where you treat, basically train your body how to do um, fight cancer. 
um, instead of like poisoning yourself to fight cancer. So I'm on this trial and I start noticing that I'm seeing double vision and this is getting closer and closer to my climb. So, um, you know, another thing that I was having was a ton of shoulder pain because I have a tumor in my left clavicle. So I was, I was wearing a splint around, like I could not a splint, but like a, um, sling, because I was trying to like baby that. So I was like, okay, my arm doesn't work. My eye doesn't work. I need to get this stuff figured out. I got to climb this mountain soon. So the beginning of August, I go into the emergency room to figure out what's going on. And they do an MRI and they find four new brain tumors, which came as a surprise to everyone. I'm on, an, I'm on a therapy. It shouldn't be happening. And then they do a scan of the rest of my body and they find more tumors. So while I'm on this immunotherapy, the tumors just start going crazy and there's like a bunch of progression at this point. So it's basically history repeating itself from the year before where all of a sudden I'm supposed to go climb this mountain and now all of a sudden I just get like this, you know, worst case scenario thrown on my shoulders. Basically every excuse in the world to not go and climb this mountain. But, you know, I kind of learned from the year before with like, okay, what's holding me back? Like, let's go through this list of things like what can I address and get rid of and still climb the mountain? And so, you know, I kind of had to put like that news of progression and how deadly it is and how terrible that news is in the back of my mind and be like, okay, let's worry about that later. What can we do now? And so I jumped on chemotherapy instantly, which was like the next day after finding out this news, this is one week before the climb was scheduled. So I get on chemotherapy and, you know, I'm, every excuse, like I said, I can totally like pull the plug at this point. And a lot of people don't think that I'm ever going to do it. I didn't have plane tickets booked. I didn't have a guide booked or anything. I, when I'm doing chemo, I go in for like four or five hours, get a chemo infusion. And then I leave with a pump that pumps me full of chemo for another 48 hours or so. So three days, yeah, 48 hours. So I'm on that Wednesday, Thursday night, I turned to Laura and, and I just lost a, a friend from cancer. And I was just like, I'm so sick of this. Like, we just have to like pack up and go and like call your mom into town. She's going to watch Wilson and we're going to be on the, the first flight as soon as I get off of chemo tomorrow. As soon as they pull that needle out, we're going. Wow. So that was what we did. And then we just headed up to Jackson and I, you know, Hold together the crew that I could. You you were seeing, and you let's go back to the eye patch really quickly. So you were seeing double double vision because of these tumors. Yeah. So like sucks. I said, every time something comes up with a problem, I just had to like address it. Which is, I had tumors in my head causing pressure on a nerve that's giving me double vision. So I put in an eye patch. You can't have double vision if you don't have two eyes. Okay. So by this incredible turn of events and just the tenacity of your wife and your family and friends and somehow you get gear together we've talked about gear before so we should talk about gear you get this crew and you you go climb the tetons mm-hmm. for the second the second time but you yeah was the i was calling it the second approach second approach i was really taking the weight off of myself to actually summit anything like as soon as we left as soon as i was done with chemo i was like this is just a Pipe dream, but whatever, I'm going to Jackson. I'm going to climb something. It doesn't matter. And then we got there. It turns out that my guide that I had planned ended up having an infection in his foot. So 
he couldn't guide us. So I had to grab another friend of mine to guide us. And, uh, my whole goal then at that point was to just start ticking off these smaller goals. And the first goal after we packed our bags and everything was just getting to gravy rock, which we called it after a while of hiking. And that's the turnaround point from, uh, in the movie and from where I was the year before I'd stopped and saw Brian off and he finished doing the climb and I had to turn around at that point. So I was just saying to myself, I'm going to get to that rock and everything after that's gravy. So, so what are some of the highlights after gravy rock of this climb? You know, I had thought about this thing for two years and just, I'd been so ready to just start that climb and the beginning of it's actually like, you know, a total, it's really a slog. It's just these cutbacks that these switchbacks that go on forever up the kind of foothills of the mountain. And it looks beautiful. Like there's yeah. lakes below. And it's absolutely gorgeous. So yeah, I was just, you know, I think I was walking around with a GoPro and just like tripping out. Like it probably looks like silly footage, but I'm just like, this is amazing. This is so great. It sounds, yeah. it looked beautiful. So then you get close to the top and you have to, I'm guessing, get a harness and some ropes and... No, well, that was no. first day one is like climbing for like five straight hours. And originally my plan was we, we weren't going to, we were going to get it guided. And so we were going to stay at like a tent that's already set up there. So you don't have to bring too much. They have all your gear and harnesses and everything. Because we did the last minute trip and I kind of pulled the trigger at the last minute, we had to bring all of our camping gear and like reserve a campsite. And so we did five hours of like 60 pound camping backpacks with full like tents and everything Holy in our backpacks. Cow which wasn't really what I was planning on for the first trip. And so we climb up and we have a campsite at some caves and we set up camp for the night and then we like sleep in the caves. And then two in the morning, we start the hike. Um, we wake up, make some coffee and start hiking in the dark. And then you basically just hike and hike through the dark. And we kind of got lost a couple times because it's just a million small rocks. And sometimes the trail goes missing and then you're just kind of, SOL. <laughs> and then as soon as the sun started to come up, we got to the saddle. There's the lower saddle was kind of our next point of success. And every one of these points, we kind of stop and look at each other and say, how are we feeling? Like, let's grab something to eat. Is everybody okay? And then we got to the lower saddle and, um, my friend who's, uh, leading the way, you know, turns to me and he's like, Tate, you know, this is like a really good point. Like you've gotten really far. If you're not feeling this, like we should turn around now. Cause once we start, we're not going to be able to turn around. You know, once you get into the climbing, like you're not going back, you know, people are behind you and yeah. you know, you kind of, it's one way at that point. And so I just kind of was like, did a full assessment of my body and how I felt. And I was just like, yeah, yeah, let's go. Let's do this. <laughs> so I don't know if I want to describe the whole climb cause it's, it can get kind of Hard to describe. I think people okay. should just go out and do it. Just tell me what it felt like to be at the top. It felt unbelievably surreal. It, I mean, I felt like I was just going to, you know, break down in tears the whole time I did a little bit. I had been thinking about it for so long. And then when it actually like happened, it was just hard to believe being there and, and standing there with, you know, some of my best friends. And then, you know, a storm rolled in. <laughs> Of course, which is like, like a the snowstorm. Of summer. Yeah, snowstorm in August. Just this freak storm comes in, so it was like kind of hastily happening. It was like, all right, we're here. The wind's like blowing sideways, and there's like snow coming down on us, and we're kind of like holding on to you know the ropes and each other, and just like trying to 
get everything off of our to-do list, you know, because when you summit, you have a kind of a few things in mind. You want to take some pictures and what pictures you want to get. And then I also had my friend's ashes that I wanted to spread while we were up there. So I was like, you know, as soon as the snowstorm comes in, it's like, what do we have to do to get the hell off of here now? And it's like, okay, I, we want to take some pictures. I got to spread my friend's ashes. Then we turn around, we get out of here. <laughs> That's pretty much how it went. So you feel like you're going to have all these emotions and you're going to, I think some people have like a little photo shoot while they're up there, but we were pretty rushed. So I'm going to still link to your blog because you write about this moment where you're throwing your friend's ashes at the top and it's mm -hmm. really beautiful. Your friend, Eric Rohner, who was, was he a wingsuit pilot? Uh, yeah, he was one of the stars on uh, MTV's uh, Nitro Circus and he was a skier with Teton Gravity Research and we became friends through um, TGR and we did a lot of web videos together and things. Um, he passed away in a skydiving accident. And, you know, when I was going through all the cancer treatments and stuff, his wife gave me his ashes and I was instantly thinking of, I know exactly where I'm going to put these. The tradition is kind of for the widow to give you the ashes and you're supposed to put them somewhere cool and let them or somewhere special or what have you and let them know where you put them. And I was kind of like, well, I don't really do anything cool. You know, I'm like, <laughs> I'm an editor. I surf. I mean, what am I throw them on the beach? But I was instantly like, well, this is a mission. This is kind of like a stunt, so to speak. And Eric was really into like having a project and like going through with it. So I was like, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to put them on the top of the grand. And you kind of say as well in, in your blog that when you get to the top and the wind picks up, it was almost like it was meant to carry his ashes. Yeah, totally. I mean, I didn't really think about like how poetic that was until we were on our way back down, but it really sunk in then because, I mean, you know, I pull out the, the ashes and I said a few words and I, I poured them into the air and it was just like, you know, it just looked like snow taking off. I don't even think like the ashes touched the ground and it seemed like, you know, it, it was it was really cool at that point. And then as we were walking back down, the storm just let up and it was just gone, you know. So it was basically just there for like our summit and you know a lot of people might have gotten like disappointed or like oh you know normally you get a grand view and you get to like sit there and take photos and you can see all around and i was like you know it was really cool this like storm just rolled in and this winter storm just pulled in and took eric away and then peaced out <laughs> i was like that's really unbelievable pretty pretty meaningful that's i felt like <laughs> pretty beautiful moment and then you get down and your wife and friends greet you with pizza and beer and yeah I'm hoping you had a decent celebration. Yeah. Yeah, we did. We were pretty exhausted. And honestly, like I wasn't too focused on like partying when I came down. I was like, <laughs> I understand, you know, it's sleep thought, food. Yeah. Well, there's that. And it's like, there's also kind of, you know, that's that high from drinking or something is so accessible on a day to day basis. But mm. like climbing the grand and having that high is not. And I kind of just wanted to ride that as long as I could. But yeah, I was so over the moon. And before I actually did the climb, like the night before, which was like the best thing is Laura was, we were laying in bed the night before we started the climb. And Laura, just before we turned the lights off, my wife's like, if you pull this off, it's going to be effing amazing. And I was like, all right, well, there it is. I'm going to have to do it. I mean... What else can you say, you know? Like, That's so awesome. Yeah. Your wife is so epic. 
We're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsor, but don't go away. Take keeps dropping gems of wisdom. Remember zines like the old school punk rock zines? Well, REI recently made a beautiful zine called Force of Nature. It's a collection of art and stories celebrating fearless women. There's 44 different artists and writers who talk about how they define the outside and what it means to them. Inside, there's incredible art, graffiti, photography, and illustrations, including some by one of my new favorite artists, Lovis Wise. She's the 23-year-old artist whose work you might have recently seen on the cover of The New Yorker. The whole zine is awesome. You can check it out at rei.com forward slash force of nature. That's rei.com forward slash force of nature. So Tate, this is so, it's such a huge achievement to have climbed that. I'm so impressed. We're going to definitely link to, to the movie leading up to this. That yeah, shows the part movie is one. called Mountain in the Hallway. It's about battling cancer and climbing the grand and the similarities. <laughs> You've met some amazing mentors on the way and then some just unique people who've kind of come out of the woodwork. Can you maybe talk a little bit about some of the mentors that have been most impactful for you and maybe advice they've given you? Yeah. One cool mentor was Ben Moon. He's a photographer and he's also a cancer survivor from colon cancer. And he had a, he has a, he lives with an ostomy which I was dealing with at one point. And he was like a super, I called him my stow mentor because you have the, the things called a stoma. So I called him my stow, stow mentor. And uh, I could just text him with questions about like, what do you do? Can you surf with this thing? And and having somebody that was like, had dealt with it that was my age and things like that was really nice. And somebody that had been through it all, like you know that it's possible to do it. So he was a really good person to to have around. And then you said something about like Monica Lewinsky's dad. Oh, no, he's not necessarily a mentor. He took the photo that's in the hallway of the Grand. And so this picture that I was completely obsessed with one day, like my radiologist walks up and he's just like, oh, you know who took that picture? Uh, uh, Bernard Lewinsky. It's a, that's Monica Lewinsky's father. And so I looked him up and, and um, I've actually corresponded with him a few times. And his whole point is he works in oncology wings and things and he's a photographer and his whole purpose of taking these photos is to take people out of their treatment and to make them feel like they're a part of nature which he feels can be very healing and things and I was just you basically put that there for me like that's what I did like I just walked through the wall and went and did this mountain it's like it was driving me nuts and that's exactly why you put it there that's so cool isn't it what and I guess say? he puts them up in different like oncology uh, different different um, cancer wings so there is like a chance that other people are doing the exact same thing that I did. Wouldn't that be cool? And like find out if somebody else was like, oh yeah, there's a picture of Yosemite and I had to go do that, you know? Wow, that's that's really cool. It's like a whole different documentary. I'm glad you told me that. That's a really interesting thing. What else has been most helpful going through cancer and, and any advice, you know, that, that you just want to pass on to people going through it now? I think like the most helpful has been uh, exercise really helps me keep my mind straight and just feel like I'm doing, doing things and feeling productive. Doing art is really helpful. Doing things that don't feel like a waste of time. I have a gallery showing right now. It's called Unwasted Time because it's like my nemesis. I feel like 
any moment that I'm, I just feel like I have this burden on my shoulders that like, if I'm looking at my phone for too long or I'm like sitting in a waiting line or something, I'm just like, this is not how I want to spend my life right now. Like let's speed this up a little bit or so things like exercise and creating things, being creative definitely help. So just to let everybody know, Tate has these beautiful watercolor paintings. There are some of the mountains, but there's some of his van called Adrian. Yeah. Her name's Adrian. Her name is Adrian. I like that she's a girl. the model name of the van is called the Balboa. Okay. And so Adrian Balboa is Rocky's wife. That's, I totally get it. And it's also my wife's middle name. Oh. She was like, we can't name the van. And I was like, well, what about this name? What do you think about Adrian? She's like, that's my middle name. I'm like, I know. And it's like Adrian Balboa. You get it? Adrian. (laughs) Is Wilson named after Wilson, Wyoming? Yeah. Where you guys met? Yeah. Oh, that's so It was a joke at first. Your son's name was, yeah, it was totally like a joke. We were like, cause people name their kids after locations like Paris Hilton is like named after Paris, you know, and things like that. And we were joking around when we first started dating, like, well, if we ever had a kid, it would probably be named Wilson. Oh, and then we moved to San Diego and we're like, we can totally name him Wilson now that we don't live in Wilson. Right. What's your favorite thing to do with Wilson? Surfing's pretty fun. Right now he's really into playing like kickball in our back room, just like kicking the ball at each other and he just laughs his head off. Gosh, there's so many fun things to do. I don't, it's hard to say. It sounds pretty fun. to. I like reading books to him at night. Does he have a favorite book? Yeah, he reads a lot of books. I think one of his favorites is probably Those Darn Squirrels is pretty funny. Those Darn Squirrels? Yeah. Okay, we'll have to check that out. What are your favorite books? Dragons Love Tacos. Dragons Um, Love Tacos? That sounds like a great book. Yeah. It's a good one. It's from the same author. And they also do uh, Secret Pizza Party. It's a good book. Um, my favorite books are right now, I like, I'm completely addicted to reading The Daily Stoic. It's like daily meditations of stoicism. And uh, it's just, it, I read it every night before bed and it's just the things dog-eared for every single thing that I find useful. And so I just read that. It's like goes for spend year and a half now just keep reading the same book mm. so i'll read another book and then i'll go back and like read my little meditation for the night and it chills me out a little bit i love that you know you're still working you're still making movies for patagonia and other brands what are you most excited about working on right now um right now there's a uh a movie that i'm working on creating just like the web promo videos for because the film itself was actually made 50 years ago by Yvonne Schnard and Doug Tompkins and, and those guys from Patagonia. It's about their original trip down to Patagonia to uh, to climb Fitzroy. It's basically like when they started the company, they created this film and then they kind of just like put it on the shelf and they never touched it. Um, so Patagonia decided to re-release it um, soon. It's coming out this fall. And they just needed to update it because obviously, you know, a movie that's 50 years old doesn't have Instagram story 15 second versions and, you know, Instagram TV and trailers and all this other stuff. So I'm just kind of creating all that, which isn't super sexy or anything, but I kind of like jobs that are a little bit smaller at the moment because they're a little bit easier for me to deal with. And then, um, yeah, the film is unbelievable though. And then I think one of my favorite projects in the last year was called uh, The Life of Glide with Jeremy Jones, who's a friend of mine. And uh, it was with TGR and O'Neill. We created a short film. That's really fun. Well, check it out. But but what about your next project? My Personally. next project? 
I think oh, I have all this footage from climbing the ground. I feel like I have to do something with, but I kind of want to sit on it for a little bit and process everything before going through the footage again. I totally understand. I, I was um, talking about this bike ride that I mean, you rode oh, your bike project. to my house. Oh, I thought you meant a film project. My next, my next lofty mountain in the hallway goal. My next, this is my next reason for getting my butt up and getting exercise because when I got home from the Grand, I just literally did nothing for about three weeks and felt like, well, that's the end. I can come home and start doing treatments again and just loaf around. And, and then I got contacted by, there's a Mike Nosco Foundation and his brother, um, Jack Nosco, called, called us up and said that he wanted to, they do a big 80 mile bike ride that's 8,000 feet of vert up in North LA County. And they want me to be the beneficiary of it to, they're gonna give me and my family the, the proceeds. And I was kind of instantly like, well, that sounds like a pretty big ride. I wonder if I can, how much of it I can do, you know? So my next big goal is to try to tick off as many miles of that as I can and see. But I, again, just like mountain climbing, I'm not a road biker, so I actually don't have a road bike. So I've been riding like my fitness bike around and stuff, but I think Giant's going to hook me up with a bike. So that'd awesome. be sweet. And, and then you, I have to get click clacks and all the spandex and stuff. Yeah. You've kind of become interested in gear. I mean, you've always been interested in gear. I have to wear filmer, razor blades, the, the sunglasses. This, uh, this, uh, yeah. The blades, the Oakley glasses. What other kind of gear do you, do you really like that maybe helped you on the mountain? I had a lot of um, black diamond stuff. I mean, their stuff is, there's so much outerwear or uh, outerwear on hard goods that worked really well and so I didn't I didn't think too much about my harness and things like that which as a beginner is great I think it was the second time I'd ever used my harness is there anything <laughs> that's been useful to have while going through cancer like watercolors or yeah emodium <laughs> poor thing anti-diarrhea medicine well, I appreciate your hu a sense of humor and anti I was, I was joking around about it. I was like, oh, if I had a sponsor for this climb, it would probably be like Metamucil and Imodium. <laughs> like, oh, Tate, I so I also had some Salewa shoes, wildfires, mm -hmm. which were awesome. They were kind enough to send me a pair, which was mandatory because you need to be pretty sure-footed yeah. when you're doing that climb, especially with one eye. <laughs> That's incredible what you've done, Tate. The movie is so beautiful. Your writing is beautiful. Just watching you and your family, I think, has been the most awesome part. Your wife just seems like such a rock. And Wilson is adorable. Any advice to people who have friends or family going through cancer? I'm pretty sure every single person listening to this podcast knows someone. What can they say? What can they do? Gosh, it's so hard. I just feel like some of the best people in my life that are really helpful, they really know how to listen. And there's if you feel like there's, you're not going to be able to say the right thing, you really don't need to put that pressure on yourself. You don't have to say anything. You just need to, you know, ask people how they're doing, what they're eating, what they like, you know, just listen to them for a little bit and find out. And I think somewhere in there you'll find a way to be helpful, but I don't, I've had people kind of come up and try to say something that, you know, like you should do this diet and you're like, yeah, or what oh, have you, you just, you, there's nothing that's really going to like take it away. And yeah. so sometimes you just need, you know, sometimes you just need somebody to tell you, you know what, you're looking really good today. And you're like, am I? Okay. Tate does cool. look really good right now, by the way. <laughs> he biked over here. He's wearing this like cool jacket. Yeah. He's got a cool haircut right now. 
<laughs> you know, Tate, I do want to really briefly talk about that. When it comes to your diet and, and your training, you've done a pretty good job with that, you said. Maybe you could just briefly tell us about some of the things that have helped you. Like, I imagine it's been tricky figuring out what you can eat and what you can't. Yeah, and I'll try not to. It's such a rat's nest as far as things like and ideas of things that are good for cancer and then the things that are good for you as a person at any given time. It's been It's been so hard to figure that out because there's a lot of information out there that's not necessarily been true or false or proven, but yeah. it may be helpful, you know? And then there's this, you know, a lot of the times like the surgeries and things like that, it's really hard to, you know, juice five times a day after surgeries or something like that, you know? So I think as far as like what I've been finding out works best is to just, you know, do all the stuff that you know is really good for you which is cutting out a lot of the sugar, which is nearly impossible. They put sugar in everything. Like if you ever look at the back of a box of cereal, it is a ridiculous amount of sugar. <laughs> and so cutting out things like sugars and carbohydrates and just eating a lot of fruits and vegetables, um, it's just been pretty much the basics. And then you can dabble in fasting and all that stuff if you really want to. But a lot of that stuff just comes if you can do it, if you feel well enough to do it, because there's no point in doing a bunch of stuff. It just makes you feel like garbage. That's good advice. You have a quality of life you're working on. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I appreciate that. We've talked about that a little bit and I, I, I appreciate your perspective. And I, I mean, with anything you're going through, you should just try to eat healthy and sort of do what's right for you. If you could leave us with one message, maybe it's a message you'd paint across Adrian or a message you'd paint on a eco-friendly plane flying over the beaches around San Diego and the world. Mm -hmm. you know, what's, what's that message? Um, I guess there's kind of one little saying that like, I, I was kind of thinking about if I were to get one tattoo, I have these little tattoos from radiation and they're little dots kind of where they radiated. But I was thinking about turning the eye, the dot from the eye into something that just said still alive. So that I could like, no matter what was going on, I could just always like look down at that and be like, yep, still here. Like no matter what you're doing, if you say that to yourself, you're just like, you can get through just about anything, you know? Tate, thank you so much. For more on Tate McDowell, to get his awesome watercolor prints, to read his blog, watch his video with TGR, to donate and see what he's up to next. He's riding his bike a lot. Go to tatemcdowell.com. That's T-A-T-E-M-A-C-D-O-W-E-L-L.com. We'll link to it in the show notes. You can also find him on Instagram at Tate McDowell or check out his company website, Death Cookie Entertainment. Probably one of the coolest company names ever. Tate, we love you. Thank you so much for riding your bike to my house and fearlessly sharing your story with me the second time. First time I kind of cried. So if I sound overly positive in this one, that was why. Tate, you are just one badass. I so appreciate you. Laura, thank you so much for everything as well. You're so strong and so amazing. Your family rocks. Please let us know if there's anything we can ever do for you. We'd love to bring you dinner. Just say when. To the team who helps this podcast, to REI for sponsoring this show. Chelsea, Joe, and Paolo, so appreciative of your support. To Annie for being the most amazing producer. 
to Kayla for helping post on social media, and Alex Alm for the amazing audiograms every week. I couldn't do it without you. To you listening, thank you so much. I am in awe of how much this show has grown, and I'm getting some awesome emails from you all telling me you're embarking on your own wild ideas, like someone just moved to Hawaii, another is practicing ice baths. I saw someone through hiking the other day in Mammoth, and she said she listens to this podcast. You all rock. I love you so much. As Tate said, life is short. Don't waste any time. And with that, some of the best adventures often happen when you follow your wildest ideas. We'll see you next week. 